welcome to The Unsettled Garden, a podcast about the politics of gardening in Canada. I'm Alison Ralph, a writer and gardener living on the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. Today, we're back with Dancing Water Sandy of the Sequapemic and Cree Nations. She's an Indigenous knowledge keeper, First Nations curriculum teacher, and serves as a council member at Williams Lake First Nation in British Columbia. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of colonialism on the landscape and on Indigenous relationships and access to the land? Yeah, that's also like another really broad question. We can talk about industry. Industry is a part of colonialism. We have to, Mm. to take everything and harvest it and utilize it in a way that's stripping our resources, right? Uh, taking away resources in a way that's having a larger yeah. impact on on the broader ecosystem. Um, when we take a whole pile of trees through setting up a mine site or setting up a dwelling site or taking resources to use to build different things, uh, we're taking something away, but we're not really addressing mm-hmm. the balance, right? So the trees are no longer there to drink the water. And so then the water table comes up, right? Mm. Because the water table comes up, it impacts the type of plants yep. that grow there. It impacts the type of infrastructure that can grow, like be put there. It impacts the water or like the pathways of the animals. Yeah, the natural mm. pathways yeah. of the animals is now being changed because maybe it's too mucky for them to go that way. So now they go a farther distance mm. away. Uh, it impacts all of the little creatures and critters that are there and how they balance each other and work together, that definitely is out of balance. We've just ruined their neighborhood as far as they're concerned. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, yeah, uh, we're, But we're benefiting our neighborhoods, right? We're building homes, infrastructure, and we're supporting mm. the growth of schools or hospitals or elders centers. Like we can't say that whenever we use industry, that it's completely, you know, robbing of things because it's also used to develop things, right? So there's a balance there. What do we take yeah. or what do we need? What do- Which makes it really complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. But because when we think about fire and how like Indigenous people have used fire to control disease in their plants, in their in their trees, in their areas. They've used fire to thin out crops, to to burn away maybe impeding species, to clear ways for development. They've used fire as a, as a partnership and in relationship mm. to their world around them. And because we haven't, fire has been uh, heavily governed governed is that how i would put it or, like it's been mm. controlled right it's been yeah. a lot of legislation so. around, and, yeah. and the control of fire and as a result the natural world around us has not been maintained because it has not been maintained or treated properly mm. we end up with these massive fires such as like in 2017 when our whole like neighborhood burnt down not like neighborhood as in houses, but our neighborhood as in where all of our interconnected friends are growing, right? And living. And so when our neighborhood burnt down, there was nothing left. And 
yeah. the impact on our actual physical neighborhood of the Tlahol First Nations. Tlahol means where the fish charge up. And the San Jose River goes, like there's the Williams Lake and then the San Jose River, and the fish charge up, right? Yeah. Historically referred to the salmon. And this year, and there haven't been salmon in that water body for a while, but this year we actually have salmon that were videoed in that oh, water wow. body, which was kind of cool. It's the first time in decades, I think. Yeah, I'm That's not amazing. really sure how many years, but I know wow. it's been at least a decade. So it was quite exciting for folks. However, because the trees aren't around us and they're not able to do their job to drink the water yeah. and to utilize all the nutrients that is provided by snowfall, we had huge flooding mm -hmm. the following year. And it took out, it almost took out some of our infrastructure, like our water pump house and, you know, bridges and, and all mm. kinds of, it took out our hay oh, fields. Wow. It took, it was quite extreme and we had to do a lot of remediation to help our neighborhood to not be destructed, right? Not be ruined. And yeah. And that was all sort of stemming from these wildfires back in 2017 and the fires occur because we haven't maintained our forest ways like there's too much fuel on the ground there's too much fuel being being bunched up and stored and categorized because they want to mm. use those things for for commercial reasons right they don't want you to take trees or to thin trees because they might use them for they might want to log them Right. So there's there's rules around how you can please mm, even, yeah. right? Like how, how you can manage forests. Yeah. And because these rules are in place with the sole concept of resource extraction, not really anything else, we end up yeah. in these situations where there's large fires and things. And it's it's all across. It's not just in our area. It's all across the forest districts and the traditional territories of each of the folks. And so that's one sort of example of how construct of rules and regulations placed on natural resources has impacted the greater community and neighborhoods per se. Not neighborhoods as in housing, but neighborhoods of those interconnected community members, right? Yeah, how those sort of governing regulations that are, are, you know, imposed from the colonial structures have had that have an impact on sort of climate change, really, and the maintaining the land. And more, more than just because, as you say, it is based in, in that resource extraction kind of perspective almost exclusively. What do you think is the most important thing or the most important things when you talk about climate change and caring for the land? I think it's uh, approaching it in a multi-generational way. I think uh, sharing ideas and knowledge across nation people, understanding that people on the other side of the earth are doing things that could help us here on our side and things that we're doing may help them over there, right? Mm. Forming that interconnected yeah. thinking to have a different relationship with nature, right? It's about reciprocity based in that rather than control. Um, if you think about relationships with mm. people, if you just wanted to control that whole relationship, you may not have a great relationship. 
But if you believed in nurturing one another and building each other up and sharing and creating a safe space, then and reciprocal giving back and receiving that's a, a huge foundational piece of of how to move forward another idea is that when we look to our elders when we look to our first nations people to understand that it isn't their responsibility mm-hmm. to to fix these things right or to be the expert in these mm. things always it gets pretty exhausting to be viewed in that way all the time. Um, and a lot of us, a lot mm. of Indigenous have been robbed of that knowledge. They've been robbed of that feeling of interconnection. They've been robbed of the, the way mm. of natural law and ways of being because they have been stolen from their communities and homes and families and territories. They weren't able to grow there naturally. Yeah. They were taken and harmed so extensively that they don't carry that way of being. And so we need to be gentle on one another to realize that not all elders carry those teachings and not to be expectant about it. Teachings and knowledge keepers can be Mm. in the very tiniest person, right? The very tiniest member of your community could carry a very valuable teaching. And to be aware that that's sometimes Mm. where the teachings come from. When you look at plants, they plants grow in a certain place. They have they have a community and a yeah. neighborhood, and they flourish there. And when you take them away from that community and that neighborhood, and you put them somewhere else, they don't always mm-hmm. flourish, right? Like they don't always yep. look like they did previously. Uh, sometimes they yeah. just die together, right? <laughs> sometimes yeah. they're like yep <laughs> I've had that happen many times yeah. he's out right and yeah it's <laughs> a fortunate parallel but when you think about what happened with our children and how mm-hmm. they take into a different place they did not flourish yeah and ultimately yeah. some of them did not survive right mm. and That's a very real parallel to look at, a very huge interconnection. And sometimes, though, you get a plant and you relocate it and you just pay special attention to just that one plant and you try to make it the best home you can for it, make it look like exactly where it came from. You nurture it and you tell it every day, like, I love you, I'm going to support you and I'm trying to help you grow here. Sometimes that plant does grow, right? And mm. sometimes it actually becomes yep. a gift for you. Sometimes it's like, okay, thank you for rescuing me from wherever, and um, I'm going to grow. Yep. And that's a rare occasion. That's a rare occasion, you know? And when we think about the mass industry around mm. gardening and seeds and, and climate and where these plants would survive and where they don't survive – all of those things it's it's quite hmm. it's it's kind of, I don't want to say like gross because it's not gross it's food and plants and, and nutrition but it it's taking what is natural and what is beautiful and kind of evolving mm-hmm. it to that consumer place right hmm. and yeah. things are modified things are altered so that you know, people can get the best use out of them. And I'm, 
it really makes you wonder yeah. about relationship nutrition. Is that actually nutritious for you? Is that actually a good relationship for you to be having? Right. So that's kind of a tangent, mm, but it does. Yeah. That is where I go, and I and I do look at the connection to the land and the disconnect between naturally occurring gardens and then constructed gardens and how we how we view food. Right. Like when you look at food, that's mm. um, like pizza for. Pizza in a box—it's not good for you, and it—it's yeah. not food. Like it doesn't come out of the ground like that. Like maybe in a cloudy with a chance of meatballs, it might, yeah. but not in natural. Pizza <laughs> doesn't grow out of the ground, right? So, like when you think of food, you think of things that yeah. grow, fly, or walk, or swim here on Good Mother Earth, right? Those are the—that's what food looks like. And the further mm. we get from that, and the further we modify it. Like the food relationship gets disconnected. The nutrients just aren't oh, yeah. there, right? Like you eat a garden yeah. carrot versus a carrot in the grocery store. You can tell the difference right away. And Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Like I think about that too with tomatoes, for example, too. You can pick them up at the grocery store and, you know, we're very fortunate that we all... Well, not all, but many of us have access to grocery stores that have tomatoes year round. And yet there's a hundred percent of difference between the one you, you know, eat off the vine in your garden and the one you pick up at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And it also leads to an idea of policing food, right? So you police food, how mm. much cost, the footprint of how it grows somewhere way down there and it gets traveled all the way up here and we buy it and we eat it how good is that for the environment right versus just going outside and getting it up yeah. in your yard and putting it in your bowl right and you know as you were saying before sort of accessing the seeds who gets to be able to access the seeds and to grow those who gets access to the land yeah there's so many layers there yeah, like I'm super fortunate that my aunties uh, have kept pieces of the knowledge alive, right? They've mm. been able to keep yeah. language and, and traditional medicines and things alive. And that to know that these foods are used in ceremony, right? They're used yeah. in celebrations and big milestones. These foods and medicines are used for healing and growing. And it's very to go back to that, to get back to that idea, right? But it also, yeah. we have to have a balance because when we, start, when we include everybody, when we try to be inclusive and be interconnected, like there's mm -hmm. a, a set of choke cherries that grow on our reservation, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And a set of wild cranberries and things like that. There's crab apples. There's, there's some gardening, garden type, natural gardens and things in our community. Mm -hmm. And often those of us who are able-bodied don't harvest those particular plants and medicines because we know our elders who like to get out and go harvesting can easily access them, mm -hmm. right? They can yeah. go right there and get them. And so if, I, if or... I'm able to. If I'm able to go further, I should probably go further so that, you know, they can access those things. And mm. I can also support them to access those those plants and things by bringing them to them. But the idea is, like, there are other folks that don't carry these teachings or this traditional way of being. And they know that these uh -huh. resources are abundant in areas of our, 
our land, our reservation, mm-hmm. yeah. and they will come, we'll harvest them, and they will leave. And then when our mm-hmm. elders go to get them, their hearts are super heavy being gone. Like it hurts their feelings, right? So there's a few mm-hmm. natural laws that are broken yeah. there, right? And sometimes yeah. these, these harvesters are from other nations, right? Other indigenous nations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're um, local settler people sometimes there but there's a natural law that's there that that is broken and i know to respect that law that to leave those for our elders yeah but they don't and so that broader by sharing that we have naturally occurring gardens there also needs to be a sharing about these natural laws Mm. right these things that are important to us right yeah and I guess that underlines just the importance of making that shift between that sort of resource-based control towards towards that, you know, embracing that sense of relationship and reciprocity so that we can have those, you know, those ongoing respectful and, you know, uh, respectful relationships that nurture rather than just take. Mm-hmm. And the... The policing of food or the policing of resources mm-hmm. is because somebody wants to control if they feel like there's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't yeah. have enough of those particular types of trees to n- nourish the broader community. There are mm-hmm. those trees yeah. everywhere, just like there's Saskatoon bushes. Do we need to harvest the ones that we would preserve for our elders? Probably not. We could go mm-hmm. somewhere else, right? Yeah. So do we put up a fence yeah. around those and only allow access to our elders? Like that's a policing thing. And so that comes oh, with again. like yeah. things like colonialism. It came with the Indian Act and, and those things break our natural laws, right? They break mm-hmm. our yeah. way of being. And so it's important when we talk about like how do we get away from things? We have to actually realize why things are the way they are, how we ended up mm-hmm. in this this space and time of not being able to share or be interconnected. And then we have to learn about the teachings and the natural laws and the relationship that we have so that we can sustain what we do have and pass down that knowledge to other people in the future. Mm-hmm. So like another like example is... When if, if I had somebody who passed away in my life that was significant to me, might be a sibling, it might be a, a mom or a child or something like that, let's say, as a community member, mm-hmm. it's a law that don't go harvesting that year. Oh, wow. It's a natural oh, law yeah. that I'm not picking or, or fishing or hunting or gathering. Mm-hmm. And... It's a natural law that extended family and community will come together and support my family. Hmm. And they'll care for me by providing that food hmm. and, and those, those resources. And it's not about policing, you can't do that this year. Hmm. That's not what it's about. It's realizing that I need to be healing this year. I need hmm. to focus my energy on the healing my family and in order to do that properly I cannot be busy doing all of these things to survive right because Hmm. historically we would have been very busy people just trying to survive 
And so that's our law to, to ensure that we can care for our families and our loved ones during those, those really critical times. Okay, well, we're mm. going to take care of your nourishment, right? We're going to harvest yeah. that medicine for your family. And that's a relationship that doesn't really exist anymore neither, right? Like how, mm. how do we get back to that? It does happen in our families and in our communities still today, but it isn't as um, known, you know, yeah. it isn't as, as widely. Yeah, it's a little bit different now, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and things shift, you know, things shift in, in our, you know, I'm sure, as you say, things have shifted in the ways that, you know, Indigenous people engage with the land, but the basis of it is there, that basis of relationship and reciprocity remains. And the responsibility of one another, mm. because we're pity, right? Yeah. We're together and it's it's knowing you know like that grief is very important to process in a good way and you need the time and space to do that right well thank you so much for sharing your time and um and your teachings with me today is there anything that you would like to point people to to you know potentially learn more about about what we've talked about today or so in our roles as um, folks in our community, I just wanted to really touch on the idea that, like my son, he's six foot, yeah. right? Wow. And <laughs> I'm five, I'm five foot seven. Okay. So I'm tall, but I'm not. A, and when we go out onto the land, yeah. right, he, and he has quite a bit more energy, right? I'm in my late forties and he's, you know, a teenager. Okay. So he's got like, he's tall, he can, he can do all of these things. He does a lot of the certain things in the bush, like reaching the taller things or bringing things down for me or lifting the heavier things or, or moving stuff around. You know, sometimes he does more of the driving and it's not because he is, is male and I'm female. Mm -hmm. It's because his body at this current state is able to do those things. Sure. Right. Yeah. And when I did them for my mom because we were the two people outside, right? Yeah. And it is. I just really wanted to kind of bring a an idea to that because gender role, really, feminism, all those things. I I kind of feel like that Indigenous women didn't have to to stretch into feminism per se. Oh. Right. Because we were so well taken care mm. of, and we took care of other. Right. Yeah. Um, it was just a respect hand in hand mm. and it was an equal way of being. And so I didn't have to exert my right as a woman because I was already highly respected as a woman mm. for being able to give life. Yeah. And I just don't think that was really reflected. But when you're harvesting, people always think, oh, that's women's work. But no, like men came with us and we worked hard at things. And there were things that were hard to harvest, like some of the roots in the deep waters, you know, things like that. We needed support. And it wasn't being male or female. It was just like, you're better equipped to try to get down there than I am. Right? I guess I'll kind of start or I'll end where I started Mm. and to know that everything can start with a relationship and it it can start with a relationship with just one single plant if you go outside and it's overwhelming the things that are out there but if you just can start with a relationship with one plant at that moment right yeah that's the beginning 
Oh, yeah. You go outside and you see there's one plant, then give it a go, right? That relationship Absolutely. can begin to like our intentions and our values of of plants and resource like resources need to switch. Hmm. Yeah. Um, instead of resources, what can I take? It has to switch to a place of relationship. Hmm. Once we realize that it's a relationship, then you really stand in true power. You hmm. stand in in a powerful place because you can share that experience with those around you. You can influence the person next to you, hmm. right? Yeah. Sharing this thinking, this way of being, this knowledge, this this sense of relationship with plants and, and community and neighborhood per se. And I'm hoping that it'll impact your thinking and change you moving forward. And then you stand in a place of power where you have the power to impact those around you. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where we started. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just adds that ease, right? It's a mm-hmm. perfect place to... I think it's a perfect place to to close. Thank you so much again f- for taking the time to to share these teachings with me today. It's just been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you and to learn from you. So thank you. That's it for the Unsettled Garden this week. I'm Allison Ralph. This show is produced by Lead Podcasting. And if you like what you heard, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking for me, I'll be in the garden. Mm-hmm.